Whoa. <laughs> hey, at least it wasn't Vader's death march. All right, good morning again. Before we get into uh, today's sermon, I want to go back to last week, make a correction. Um, I said, and I have very poor choice of words, um, heretical words actually. Um, I made the statement that God is the father of the saved and the unsaved. Now, I meant that in terms of God is sovereign over everybody. I do not believe in universal salvation. The unsaved are damned to hell. The saved go to heaven. I just want to make the correction because it's important that we speak the right words about God. We sing the right words about God. So if there was any confusion, or if you're just saying it's the first I've heard of it, thought about it, let it go. Act like nothing was said here, and let's go on our merry way. But it was brought to my attention, and I'm very thankful for by the elders. Words are important. And I'm very, I want to take my moment here to say my thankfulness for you as a church. I was reading an article by Paul David Tripp. I didn't read all of it yet. Uh, I was skimming through it. But if you know who Paul David Tripp is, I highly encourage you to read his stuff. Listen to his uh, podcast. Uh, I'm not a podcast person, but um, he had an article this week. how He mentors 15 young pastors at a time. Those guys are blessed. And he meets with them weekly. And they were telling how they receive texts, emails, even sometimes during the sermon of the congregation condemning the pastor. And I thought to myself, how horrible. Well, I don't know what you say behind my back, but I know what you say to my face. And I believe it's the same thing. There's no difference. I'm thankful for you, church, for your support, for your care, for me as pastor. And I want to ask you this October, to make a point to go to Pastor Mike, Pastor Len, and Pastor John and tell them how much you are thankful for them. You don't know how much they do behind the scenes. I get all the glory and I get all the kicks, right? That's part of the, that's part of the, that's part of the package. I'm not complaining. That's it. And I get a lot of praise throughout the year, but I'm going to ask you to purposely with the, those men to make a point to let them know how appreciated they are in our church. All right, that's done. Let's stand. We're going to open up the, book, the Word of God to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5 to 13, our text that we've been going through. We're going to talk about priorities in prayer, part 1. Let's pray first. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you, Lord God, that you are a gracious God. And we do ask, Lord God, that you plant your Word down deep in us cause it to bear fruit today, Lord God. Help us to see you so that we can accurately see ourselves and correct things where they need to be corrected and be encouraged in things that are going correct so that you in the end would be glorified and your church would be edified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that that will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Within the Lord's prayers, we've been dealing about praying for an audience of one and all of those things, and God's name being holy. But within the Lord's prayer, as it's commonly called, is six petitions. There are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer which serve as a guide for our private and public times of prayer. We're going to deal with three of them today. That's why it's entitled Priorities in Prayer. The first request within the Lord's Prayer, as we've dealt with before, is that God's name would be holy. Hallowed be your name. Holiness is the essence of who God is. And therefore, God's name is holy. God equates himself throughout the Old Testament with his name. That's why the scriptures tells us in Exodus chapter 20, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, that it may go well with you and have a long life. This is the first command with a promise. I don't want to say Paul's a liar, but in chronological order, there's a promise attached to misusing God's name. It says, if you misuse my holy name, you will pay the price. Essentially, that's what God is saying. I will not hold you guiltless for taking my name in vain. God is holy. R.T. France, in his commentary, says this. This clause, the statement, then it's not merely a petition that people in, a, in general may come to acknowledge God, but is itself an expression that reverence of that reverence which His holiness requires. So when we pray as believers, it's the idea, as we've already said, that I would keep your name holy that I would have a reverence and an awe for the God of the universe who called me out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That has to be what I have to honor God in such a way, really, to, to, to come to him. It should be a passion and desire that God would be held as holy. As, as John Calvin says, no man is aflame with the desire to glorify God Unless forgetting himself, he elevates his mind to seek God who is high and lofty. Do I desire, do you desire in prayer to seek a high and a lofty God? How did Isaiah see the Lord? Did he see him? I was was on an equal plane with God. Well, I think he actually was kind of standing. I don't know if God was, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He may have physically been lifted up high and holy. I wasn't there. You weren't there. We know what the words tell us. But I think it conveys a deeper meaning that God is holy, as we talked about in Sunday school, so far above me, so far above you, I see the Lord high and lifted up. 
Do we come to the Lord in prayer in that way? As Peter says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And if you remember when we talked about hallowed with your name, be your name, um, R. Kent Hughes gave us some points on how we keep the Lord as holy, how we, when we pray, we honor the request that God's name be holy. Remember, we reverence Him as Father with acts of public and private worship. We reverence or hallow His name when our beliefs concerning Him are worthy of Him. Boy, that is so true. Right thinking through right doctrine. Doctrine really does matter. True belief matters. We hallow His name by living a life that displays that He is our Father. That's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. It's not exhaustive, obviously, but we get the idea. I want to spend our time on on the other requests because we've dealt with this already. But as a reminder, that's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. Then Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What does it mean to say your kingdom come? I, I, I would put this definition there. It's asking for the eschatological realization of God's kingdom. Ooh, that's fancy. What is eschatological? The coming of Christ to establish his permanent kingdom, right? The heaven, well, not heaven on earth, but us going to heaven, to the new heaven and to the new earth. That's... If you were growing up in the church, that's probably how you were always taught what it means, your kingdom come, that God's kingdom would come. The final realization of time and space of history would culminate with the return of Jesus Christ. It's what in Scripture is called the blessed hope. The blessed hope. Titus, Paul writing to Titus actually, says this, In Titus 2, verses 11 to 13, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's part, part of what it means to pray, Your kingdom come. Don't you want Jesus to come even today? I mean, really, how much longer can we go and sustain a society? Right? I want Christ to come now. Right? question is, are we ready for him to come now? Will we hear the good words, well done, good and faithful servant, when he comes? That's the question. But it is this hope of your kingdom come. That knowing that we have a blessed hope which sustains us today. We were, and I hope she's not going to get mad. I don't think she's going to get mad at me. And if she was, she'll forgive me. We were over at Lynn and Joe's house praying when she got the news. And we were just talking. And Lynn has an accurate understanding of the whole situation. Well, I have cancer. But she says, but when I think about it, that he chose me before the foundations of the world. I said, that's right. And that means that now he's not going to abandon you. 
He's not going to abandon you to the last day. It is that hope, no matter what is going on, that we can say, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, for I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us, the coming kingdom of Christ. So I can handle cancer. I can handle a broken relationship. I can handle that, whatever it is. And some of us are going through really bad things and dark things. I'm not trying to put them down like, ah, they don't mean nothing. But Scripture does tell us comparatively to heaven and the glory of Christ and what I suffer here, there is no comparison. Again, understand, we're not belittling anything anybody's going through. Jesus had compassion on people. He healed the lame and the blind and the sick and rose the dead because he had compassion on their current situation. My current situation, when I set my mind in the heavenly realms where Christ is seated, and is that not a struggle for us in the midst of suffering? Then I begin to see. And then as I look full into his wonderful face, the things of earth begin to what? Fade away. Begin to fade away. John, writing to, in his epistle, says, Beloved, we are... Go- oh, sorry. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's the idea that, okay... I'm looking for the kingdom of God to come. I'm asking for it to come. And because I have that hope, I'm going to purify myself. For when it does come, I'm ready. That I'm that virgin who has a lamp full of oil and the wick is trimmed. That I'm not the lazy virgin who doesn't have oil and is not ready for the appearing of the bridegroom. Are we ready for God's kingdom to come? When asking or stating, your kingdom come, it's also asking that the kingdom of God would be the priority of my life. You're saying, God, will your kingdom help your kingdom be a priority in my life? How do I make God's kingdom a priority in my life? I believe Paul tells us in the book of Philippians. as As he says, this is how I do it. And Paul does say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is the attitude of having the priority of the kingdom of God in your life. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. I press on. What's the upward call of Christ Jesus? The eschatological realization of the kingdom of God for me. It also means that going along with God's holiness, that I care about God's kingdom to such a degree that as First Peter says, and as we did in, in Sunday school, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason of the hope that is in you. Get it? Do it with gentleness and respect. 
James Boyce, the late James Boyce, says this, Therefore, when we pray, your kingdom come, we ask first that God's gracious rule may come in us, and second, that it might come through us to others. Through us to others. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing is by the word of God. John MacArthur writes this in his commentary. The king is inseparable from his kingdom. To pray thy kingdom come is to pray for the program of the eternal deity to be fulfilled, for Christ to come and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. His program and his plan should be the preoccupation of our lives and our prayers. In other words, what God wants, I'm going to pray, God, that's what I want. Make it be my desire. Your desire be my desire. And then, Lord, when I ask, according to the desires of my heart, there'll be your desires, and I will get what I want. Because I want what you want. Now, does that mean... Well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'll save that for the next point. That means I just want God's kingdom to rule in the reign. How do I practically go about living a kingdom life? And and I I will say a great resource, I think, for me personally, a great resource about understanding kingdom and having kingdom priorities is Dr. Tony Evans. He does a great job on kingdom man and kingdom woman. Great job. Uh, I believe he does. may not be your style of preacher, but what he says, I believe, is correct. But how do I, as a believer, get set my mind to be? Yes, so I pursue it, and as Paul says, press on. But how do I practically in everyday life live out a kingdom life? Well, we don't have time today, but I would tell you to go back and read and study the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter, chapter 7. And in, 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 the, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus reshaping the people's thinking. You've heard it said this. No, this is actually, you've heard this. No, this is, and it's putting the mind as the way God wanted people to originally think. Because they had the whole understanding of the law was all messed up for them. And Jesus comes and he straightens it out. We also see that he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. What does it mean to pray that your will be done? Isn't God's will going to be done no matter what? I mean, he's God. Who's going to stop him? Right? Oh, no, Lord, you can't do that. (laughs) Right? Those, those, it says in Scripture, those who stand against God, uh, uh, he says he, in in Psalm 2, he says he just just laughs at him. Like, really? Like, Really? Nobody's going to stop. We understand the will of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, James Boyce writes this. It says, if we are to understand the fullness of what this statement means, we must begin by realizing that all of the troubles that exist in this world exist because someone or some group of people want man's will instead 
of the will of God. That's the starting point. Why is the world in trouble? Because nobody's doing what God wants them to do. Rulers of the world are not doing what God commands them to do. We are essentially, I think today, I think a good way to describe the way we live today is as it was in the time of the judges. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Right? Hey, oh, I like that. I want this, and I like this, and I want to believe this, and I believe it. And don't you disagree with me? All of those things. Our world is not living under the will of God. Our people, yes. Our God's true church, yes. But as a whole, it's the world living under the will of God. He writes, Jesus says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's the qualifier right there. What do you mean, on earth as it is in heaven? You know what's happening in heaven all the time? God's perfect will is always obeyed. There's nobody questioning God. There's nobody going, huh, oh, man, you know, no, I think I'm going to do it a different No, perfect and full obedience to the will of God in heaven. So he's saying that here on earth. Is it? I think we need to distinguish between the wills of God. Not that God has multiple personalities or like that, but understand it in terms of, of how it's expressed within Scripture. First, there's the efficacious will of God. There's the perceptive will of God, and then there's God's desires, right? The efficacious will of God. That whatever God wills, will come to pass. God wills that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. You know what's going to happen tonight? The sun's going to set in the west. As soon as it doesn't, we're in trouble. (laughs) We're in big trouble. But whatever God has willed by the eternal counsel of His will, whatever that may be, we're not privy to those things necessarily, all of them, for the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things He has revealed belong to us and our children. But the declarative, efficacious will of God is going to come to pass. If God says, I want X amount of people saved, and -and so-and-so is going to be saved, guess what's going to happen? They're going to come to faith in Christ. If God says, I want a meteor to smash into earth and destroy the world, guess what's going to happen? The meteor is going to smash in and destroy the world. I hope that's not His will for us, because I think NASA just skirted God's will for us by shooting that rocket into that meteor. But anyways... You understand what I'm saying. The the, the determined plans of God from the foundation of the world are going to come to pass no matter what. Nobody's going to stop them. No kingdom, no nothing. That's why in Daniel, the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, of the great statue representing all the kingdoms of the world, and this little rock, this little rock, Daniel 4, comes out of the mountain, and it grows bigger and bigger. It smashes into the kings of the world, and it fills the world. Because one kingdom... You can guarantee this is the efficacious will of God. There's going to be one kingdom that will stand, and it's God's kingdom. America will be off to the... Will be gone. God's kingdom will stand at the grave of America. And I love America, don't get me wrong. And we should never take this idea of your will be done on earth as in heaven and the kingdom come and all that to equate that in any way because this is becoming popular. I didn't know if I was going to go here or not, but this idea of Christian nationalism. 
of America as a Christian nation. No, we are not. Were we founded on some Christian principles? Yes. Were the founding fathers Christians? No, they were deists, actually. Do I love America? Yes. But which is the idea that even Christianity and it's rising and that uh, we're going we're gonna to take this election and we're going to make America a Christian nation. There's no Christian nations. God never came to save nations. He came to save peoples. A people redeemed for himself. Do we, are we too as Christians care about America? Absolutely. What did God tell the children of Israel? He says, I'm coming into judgment and I'm going to send you off to Babylon. What did he tell them to do when you're in Babylon? Seek the welfare of the nation. Seek it. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're told even. We should care about America. Be good citizens of America. Vote God's principles when possible. Be involved. All of those things as good citizens we should be. But please don't ever say we're going to make America a Christian nation. America is going to lie in ashes like Europe and Asia and every other nation that ever has been. You know what's in the past? You know what history is littered with? Kingdoms. Kingdoms are gone. And only one kingdom has been progressing and going forward, the kingdom of God. Make his kingdom your first priority as we live in America. I'll probably get some flack for that, but it's true. It's just true. God's efficacious will is going to happen. Then there's God's perceptive will. That there's laws, precepts within God's word that he wants us to obey. He's not going to make us obey them, but we're going, he calls all people to do these things. His perceptive will. And then there's God's desire. This is seen in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And, and the, 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 the theological word, the Greek words are thulema and bulema. I didn't get into to all of that today. But 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. In other words, God's promise is efficacious. It's going to come to pass. As some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, is this the efficacious will of God, the declarative will of God, that none should perish? No, it's not. Because there are people in hell right now. And there will be people in hell. Scripture is clear. So God's not God's declarative will. God gave a prescriptive will, a a perceptive will, a precepts will, of this is what you need to do to obey me. But when we say that God's not wishing His will, God has no desire that anybody would perish. He doesn't want to see. He he says, I take no delight in the destruction of the wicked, but because God is just, and He cannot deny Himself, those who reject Christ will be in hell. Bottom line. He doesn't want that. He says, oh, I'm going to get you. Never, you know, these pictures of God that at the judgment, he's just going to be throwing people in hell. And he's going to be, ha, 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 I got you. you. You told me no, and now I got you. Not true at all. It's a broken heart. He's just. His will is going to be done. 
And he has desires like you and I. All his desires don't get fulfilled. We understand, say, the Lord's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there's facets to that. When we pray as believers, what are we saying? That my will come under the lordship of God's kingdom. That's what I mean. That's what you should mean by it. That my will comes under the lordship of God's kingdom. We are told in Scripture to know what the Lord's will is. Ephesians 5.17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is the will of the Lord for me? Maybe you're here today and you're a single young lady. What's God's will for me? You know what? Go to Sinatra's class on Tuesdays and study God's word and find out what that is. I'm a woman. What's God's will for me? Go to Susan's Bible study and study what it is. I'm a man. What's God's will for me? Come to men's group and find out what God's will for you is. You're a teenager. You're a student. Go to youth group. Find out what God's will for you is in your particular context. But what is God's will for us as a whole? There are, there are a couple places in Scripture where God says, this is the will of the Lord for you. So we can't say, well, I wonder what God's will is. No, He's made clear His will. Who are you going to marry? Where are, clothes are you going to, where are you going to live? All of those things, we have to find out through prayer and counsel. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is God's will for you and I as believers? That God says specifically, this is my will for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-6. For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And most of us stop right there. But there's that, well, that's not a semicolon, whatever that. I, I stink at English. Whatever that mark is, now we're defining what sanctification is. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in the matter. Why? Because the Lord is an avenger in all of these, whew, in all of these things. As we've told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. So God's will for the believer clearly is that we are not sexually immoral. How appropriate in the culture in which we live today. Man, you can't even have a commercial about dish soap without sexuality being brought into it. It's sickening. And the stuff that's being promoted in our schools and in our libraries. Family friendly. No, it's not. It's disgusting and it's anything but friendly to your family or your kids. Seeking to destroy your family and destroy your kids. Don't buy into this stuff. Do you know it's possible to be sexually immoral and have never once had sex in your life? Because Jesus addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount about how you think. Is your mind in a disgusting place as a believer? Are you... Looking at pornography, and that's not just a men's issue anymore. That's a men's and women's issue anymore. There's conviction here. Do something about it. 
Don't stay there. Because God's declarative will is also this, that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You remain a sexually immoral person and claim the name of Christ and continue in it, you will be in hell. Jesus said it, not me. Avoid it. What's God's will? Be sexually pure. How much does that matter in a culture today? Have we made mistakes here? Have you left? Have you been in a place where you weren't? As, you know what? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and go on. Let it be in the past and move on and strive to have your kingdom reign in my life and that I do your will in my life today. You know, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble itself. It might be a good prayer for us to say, Lord, may I live according to your kingdom today. May I be in your will today because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But I do know that my decisions and my reactions today will affect tomorrow. So let me be right today and I can relieve some anxiety for tomorrow. Make sense? Makes sense to me. But just because it makes sense to me doesn't mean it actually makes sense because sometimes this world is crazy. What's another will of God for us stated explicitly within Scripture? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, semicolon, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Are you a joyful person? Does that mean I got to walk around? La, 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 right? That's the most dancing I'll ever do for you. The most charismatic I'm going to get for you. Doesn't mean that. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. And yet he said this. I rejoice in my God. His mercies are new every morning. Do we pray without ceasing? We've already talked about that. Am I always in a state of prayer? I'm ready to pray. My mind is always going to asking God for help. I give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, thank you that in your efficacious will, at least at this point, you have gave me this diagnosis. You've allowed this to happen. To my life up to this point, I've been here. And yes, God, it may have been because of choices I made. But I thank you that I'm here. And I thank you, God, that when I'm here, I'm actually not alone. You are with me. You'll walk with me. And as you promised to the children of Israel that you'll go before me, behind me, and on the side of me, and fall, that I will be the head and I will not be the tail. And that's not prosperous preaching, I'm telling you. That's just what God says about his believer. Because in my mind, if I understand the truth of God's word, guess what? I am victorious right off the bat. So I rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, does that mean I have to therefore go, oh, Lord, I got a bad diagnosis. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to run right into it and embrace it because it's your will for me. No, that would be foolish. 
Because if that's the truth, then Jesus doesn't understand the will of the Lord. Because in the garden, at a darkest moment, when the worst thing that was going to happen to any human being was about to happen, he says, Father, if it's possible, take it from me. But, not my will, but yours be done. Does that mean I should never ask God for things that I would want? No. You have a desire? Man, I would really like to have. Boy, I would just really enjoy. I don't think there's anything wrong in asking God for that. I've asked God for things. God, I would really like to. Do I need it? No. Would I like it? Yeah. And then God has given it to me at times. There's a lot of things like, God, I would really like, man, I would really like for you to give me, in my mind, all the numbers for the lottery tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I hasn't done it yet. You know what I'm saying? It's not wrong. It's not what you, I only got to ask a, man, he's our father who loves to give us good things. Understand what the Lord's will, don't be foolish, understand what the Lord's will is, do what the Lord's will is the best we can, and just ask our father, hey, uh, this is really bad. I really hate this situation. I hate where I'm at, God. And yeah, God, I know I'm kind of responsible for it even. Or even those times when we're not, God, would you, would you deliver me out of it? And he may say yes, or he may tell you like he told Paul, you know what? My grace is, you're going to learn, and my grace is sufficient for you. The will of God, the will of God, it's not his efficacious will. It's his, desire, his perceptive will for God and for you. And for me, for all people, is that everyone would repent and come to faith in Christ Jesus. This is a command of God. Uh, uh, Acts 17.30, we talked about it in Sunday school. That now he commands all people everywhere to repent. To change your mind. To live a different lifestyle. To come to an understanding of who God is, what Christ has done for you. I would ask you today, have you repented, truly repented? According to Scripture, do you realize that I'm living my life the way I want to? It's my life, after all. Didn't Bon Jovi tell us that? It's my life. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's your life. And you'll give an account for your life. I will give an account for my life. I will stand before a holy God, and He's going to say, What did you do? Did you repent as I commanded you to? Oh, uh, there's no turning back from that point. Today is the day of salvation. When God says repent, that's a word not of condemnation, but of mercy. It's a word of mercy because he's calling you to come out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. And the only way you will have life, true life, is to understand that God is holy. I'm not. I have sinned against the holy God. I don't care if you, oh, I just, well, it's just a little, little lie. You've sinned against the holy God. You can't, be, you can't go down a comparative route. Well, I'm not as bad as, nope, doesn't matter. It's about your life and you, no one else. About my life, me, no one else. God, I've fallen short of you. I need a Savior. 
I am under the just condemnation of God. And unless God steps in, I'm doomed. And God stepped in. Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin. The scripture tells us, says in Galatians, born under the law. You know, if he was just born of a virgin and not born under the law, we'd be in trouble. Because he came to fulfill the law. And Jesus was perfect in God's command. If there's anybody who was perfect in the will of God, it's Jesus. And he came. And God said, the penalty for disobedience, the penalty for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But, but, thank God for buts. You know what I mean by that. Thank God for the buts. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Boy, what do you stop? The wages of sin is death. Boom. Our relationship here is done. But he moved towards us. He said, no, it's not. There's a demand of holiness, and I myself am going to come down, and I'm going to satisfy that the penalty for sin is death. That's the whole point of the sacrifices on the altar, where they would confess their sins on the head of that lamb or that goat, and they would go, and they would be slaughtered and not me. And then comes the perfect lamb of God, who what, John says, takes away the sins of the world. When you come and repent before God, change your mind, walking this way, now I'm walking this way, confess your sins before God, ask Him to have His kingdom rule in your life, and that His will be done in your life, you shall be saved. Are you saved today? If you're not, why not? I would call you today to right now in your heart and your mind, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's God's will for you. The will of the Lord, when we understand it, is not just a list of do's and don'ts. Because if we reduce the will of the Lord to a a list of do's and don'ts, then I'm going to be proud of myself. Oh, I was a good boy. I didn't. I'll be that Pharisee who will stand there and go, well, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Right there, already, already wrong, already off to a very bad start. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Those are part of it. Yes, absolutely. But the will of the Lord is this, is the transformation of my mind so that my will comes under the jurisdiction of the Lord and therefore his will is my will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what does it mean when we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, let your kingdom, let my priorities 
of your, let the priorities of your kingdom be my priorities. May my will be your will. As I keep your name holy. The priorities of prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. The starting points of prayer is towards God and about God. Not just rushing and go, well, God, I need this and God, I need this. There may be times in life where something just happens. God, I need your help now. Where we're not going to have the formula of, you know, Lord, you're holy and your kingdom come and your will be done. And, and there's times when we just, at the moment, we're praying and asking for God. Nothing wrong with that. This is about when you go into your closet. And when you pray to your Father who is in secret, who sees you in secret. When you're pouring your heart out before God. This is the formula. It's about your kingdom. It's about your will. It's about you being holy, about your kingdom, and about your will. Help me. I need your help. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who empowers us and strengthens us to obey the word, to understand it, and to obey the word of God. That's the first priority in prayer. It's about God. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about our priorities in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are indeed a holy and a just and a righteous God. Thank you that your kingdom has come. Thank you that you have a kingdom in which you invite people to be part of. What a privilege to be part of the kingdom of God. What a privilege to be part of the family of God. I pray today, Lord God, that everybody here is a part of the family of God. Help us, Lord God, to set our priorities according to yours. We ask it for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you.